with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Not that I have already obtained this, or that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us of those that are mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Will you pray with me real quick? Dear gracious and heavenly Father, I thank you for the great Apostle Paul and his words and his eager to imitate you and his eagerness to write these letters across the country and to spend time with people to share what it means to, to press onward and to leave a life that, uh, that he had once led and pressed towards for the cause that you have called him for. And I pray that for our lives today. In your precious name, amen. So uh, I'm very much aware that I'm not a pastor. Uh, I'm a youth pastor. I talk to kids about real life situations and try to lead them to Jesus through it. So uh, I'm going to try to do that with you today. Jesus is like my biggest role model. So I like the way that he taught. So he uses a lot of stories. And you know I like to tell stories. So Wednesday was February the 1st, right? That's also National Give Up Your New Year's Resolution Day. You don't have to tell me. I worked in a fitness and sports center for six and a half years. The downward decline of new participants in the month of February proves that people have given up zest. It's over with. So I was wondering, what is the number one New Year's resolution? Anybody want to guess what it is? Anyone. Don't be ashamed. Get healthy. Work out. Lose weight. Eat better. Do better. Couple other things on the list. Spend more time with family. Spend less. Save more. Travel. Learn a new hobby. Pretty great things. It reminded me of a story, and Jerry, if you'll go ahead and put the photo up there uh, of me and a couple of my friends. In 2005, me and my friend James, James is the one on the end right here in the white t shirt, and you know who the guy is on the end, the extremely good looking young man. Um, <laughs> So now you have a visual picture of these two people. Brian is right there beside James. He's the one in the black t-shirt. So uh, in 2005, we decided we wanted to go see a concert in Tuscaloosa. So we, we set out, and, and, and I had a 95 Toyota Camry, and it ran hot after 20 miles. It was good to let it sit for a couple hours, then you could get 20 more miles out of it. My parents thought it was sufficient because at skate zone and it was only two miles from the house so I had 18 miles to play with so I can go to Tuscaloosa in my car and James had to pay for his own gas at this time his parents weren't paying for it anymore so we couldn't take his truck to Tuscaloosa so we invited our friend Brian to go with us and he said that he would drive his car the only problem was is that in order to meet up with Brian we had to go to Millport Liberty Alabama area aka 
AA Nowhere, Alabama, uh, and so and pick him up and go to Tuscaloosa that way. And if you know anything about that way, that's the long way. Anyway, so we go there and we go to this concert and we have a great time. We come back. It's late in the night. We had the hour drive back from Tuscaloosa. We said our goodbyes and we uh, hit the road and we take the left. It eventually becomes Highway 50 when you cross over into Mississippi or God's land. I'm not sure what it is there in Alabama. But so we're on this road and we start to hear this nasty noise. And uh, it's, it's just terrible. And we thought we had run over a stick. So us being who we are, we're like, we'll drive it out. It'll be okay. And uh, so we just keep pressing forward. And all of a sudden, this noise just gets nasty. I mean, it's terrible. And the car's like shaking. And we're like, I think it's time to pull over. And so we pull over and we walk around the car. And then sure enough, right there, the back side of the car has a flat tire. I mean, it's not flat. It's like gone. I mean, it, we left it. But it was somewhere back, you know. So we're two guys. We can handle a flat tire. No big deal, you know. And so we, we decide that we'll pull out all this stuff. And neither one of us had ever really changed a flat tire. Dad's take care of this for us. So, but we weren't going to tell each other that. So we got the jack out. We got it going on the side. And we pull out the spare. And thank God it had air. And so... We pull it out, and then we get to looking around, and we're scrambling through the trunk, and we don't have a tire iron. And for those of you that are like Lindsay, a tire iron is what you need to take the lug nuts off of the car, okay? I mean, off of the wheel. The lug nuts hold the wheel to the car, and you have to have this tire iron to twist it. It's a tool that you use, okay? Just making sure everybody knows where we're at. Uh, you can't take them off by hand. It won't happen. You can try all night, but they're not coming off. You know, they put them on with an impact wrench. So we decide we've either got to start walking or we got to try to call somebody. So one of us had the bright idea, James is not here to defend himself, so I'll say it was him, that you can still call 911 without service on your phone. And so that doesn't work. After several call fails, we realized that service is what, in fact, gives you the ability to call someone. <laughs> and so we come to this and we're standing on top of the car and we're waving our phones trying to grab one bar of service and we realize we're in the middle of Millport. There's no service out here. We're not ever going to find service. So if you've ever been to Millport in the middle of the night, everybody's either home at this point or they're not coming home tonight. There's, <laughs> there's, no, there's no street lights. There's nothing. I mean, it, it, the houses are laid out a quarter of a mile apart, a hundred yards off the road. So we decide we're going to walk. So we start walking. And we get to the first house and we knock on the door for what seemed like forever. Then finally the guy comes to the door and I explain to him, hey sir, that speck off in the distance is flashing lights. That's my car. We got a flat tire. Can we borrow your tire iron or borrow your phone? And the guy said, okay. And he shut the door and locked it and went inside. And I'm still looking for this guy. It took us like 10 minutes. We realized he's not coming back. That okay was like, okay, not my problem. Okay, have fun with that. So we decide that since we're in Millport, 
and, and God love you if you're from Millport or on land. I don't mean anything harsh by it. But we decided that people don't come to the door in the most friendly manner. And sometimes they come with something, if you know what I mean. So we decided we wanted to not knock on any more doors. So we said, JR's house is just right over that hill. He's a youth that we've worked with. His parents know us. We've been to his house. They'll be glad to help us. It's just right over the hill to the left. It'll be right there. So we decide we're going to walk down this road, and it's, we're walking long. I mean, it felt like forever. And then all of a sudden, we hear this thunderous noise. And I thought, first, it's thunder, because normally thunderous noise equals thunder. But nevertheless, though, it was a herd of horses, and we had spooked them up, and they were running full-fledged towards us. And, and the 75% of me knows that this barbed wire fence, this horse does not want to get poked by this. They don't want to come this, but the 25% of me is looking at that horse and saying, this horse could do a lot of damage. It's a big horse. You know, and there's a lot of them. And so then we spooked a whole herd of, there's like a house slash a humane society right there in Millport right across the street. And there's like 20 dogs. And they all come running and James says, quick, take this. And he throws me this rock and I'm like, one rock for 20 dogs? You know, even David got five stones. I was like, if I hit this dog, I've got to hit the other 20 with the same rock. Or I've got to beat you back to my car and get my keys out and get in before you do. But thankfully, these dogs were just extremely territorial, but at the same time, skittish of anything that wasn't their territory. So they just stood at the edge of the yard and just barked as loud as they could for as long as they could. So we finally reached this hilltop. And we're walking, we're walking up. We get to the very top, and me and James look over on the other side. And all we see is a lot of trees and a lot more darkness. And it turns out that we weren't where we thought we were at all. <laughs> JR's house was not just right over that hill. <laughs> and at that point in time, we had to make a decision. Are we going to keep going forward? Are we going to turn around and go back to what we've been doing and hope that it somehow produces different results? We both turned and looked at each other and said, well, I guess we're sleeping in the car tonight. And we headed back towards the car. I want to ask you a question this morning, and I really want you to ask yourself this question. Have you ever been on that hilltop? Metaphorically. Have you ever come to a why in your path or a fork in your road? Have you ever come to a point or a moment in your life? You said, I want to lose weight. I want to get closer to God. I want to read my Bible more. I want to spend more time with my family. I want to do more of this. I want to do more of that. I want to let go of my addictions. I want to let go of my struggles. I want to let go of my pain. I want to let go. And you start out on this path and you go through all these series of circumstances and you reach this hilltop or this why or this point or this fork in the road and you have to make a decision. Am I going to press forward or am I going to go back to the things that I've always done hoping that I'll get different results? I want to ask you this morning, you want an excuse not to read your Bible? Pick one. You want an excuse not to lose weight? Pick one. You want an excuse not to spend time with your family? Pick one. You want an excuse to spend less money or spend more money? Pick one. 
There's plenty of them out there. People use them every single day. Every single day. You want an excuse not to do what you want to do in life? Pick it. But I tell my kids all the time at the youth center, stop giving me excuses. Show me results. There are two different types of people in this world. There are people who will look for any way out of conquering what they've been called to do, and there are people that will just simply just do it. Watch this video for me real quick. Folks, I want you to know almost everybody in America almost does enough to win. They almost get there. They almost are over the hump. They almost have it going. They almost in everything they do, almost is a way of life to almost everybody in America. But the winners do it. What do they do? They do whatever it takes to get the job done. They do it and do it and do it and do it and do it until the job gets done. And then they talk about how great it is to be somebody they're proud of. We need leaders in America who can do it. If you want to become somebody, do it. If you want to go in business for yourself, do it. If you want to become financially independent, do it. I hear too much talk in these United States. Everybody can talk a good game. We need people in America who can do it. I go all over this country with A.O. Williams, and I have people say, Art, you, you can count on me. Wonderful. Just do it. Art, I guarantee you this is my last stop. I'm going to win now. Super duper, just do it. Art, if I could just have one good month and get the ball going, I know I could make it big. Super, just do it. Art, if I could just pay off this debt, I could really go. Great, just do it. Art, if I could just sell my house, do it. Uh, but houses ain't selling. Do it anyway. Art, I'm not making any money. What can I do? Y you just do it. Hey, do what, Art? You do it. And do it, and do it. All right, I guarantee I'm going to win this contest. Super duper, just do it. All right, I'm over the hump now. Watch my smoke. Great, just do it. All right, I want to make it so bad I can taste it. What I do, you just do it. All right, I'm a vice president now. Can I quit doing it? No. All right, I don't know if I can keep on keeping on. I'm really hurting what I do. You just do it. Do what, Art? You do it. And do it, and do it. Art, all my life I wanted to be somebody important. Well, what do it then? Art, I'm going to save money so I don't have to go through this again. Great, just do it. Art, I don't feel like I've had enough training. What I do? You just do it. Art, my manager don't give me no help. What I do? You just do it. Art, you don't understand. I was Mr. Everything at my former company. You don't mean I, I have to start off down at the bottom and do it, do you? Yep, you really got to do it. Art, Art, what's the primary difference between winners and losers? The, win the winners do it. They do it and do it and do it and do it until the job gets done. And then they talk about how great it is to finally have achieved something unique and how glad they are that they didn't quit like everybody else and how wonderful it is to finally be somebody they're proud of. And make so all day you're going to be telling each other, just do it. Just do it. You're right. You're right. In 2008, I found myself without a job, and this wasn't a good thing because I was the only person working in my family. Lindsay was five months pregnant with Aiden. 
And I, got, I hung out at Lowe's all the time, so I applied to work there. I figured, hey, I'm there anyway. I might as well get paid for it. And so uh, they offered me the opportunity to come and work there, but I held out because I felt like God was leading me to the base. I just felt it in my heart, like it just felt right. And I went in and met with them, and they told me what they were going to pay me, and they said, how many hours a week do you think you need to, to be okay? And I said, well, I think I need about 30 or 35 hours. And they said, well, you know, I'm sorry, but we, we, this position is a flexible position. We can't guarantee anything with this position. They said, some weeks you might work eight hours. The next week you might work 30. One week you might work 12. The next you might work 40. But we can't guarantee anything. And I took the position anyway. And my first day on the job, I swept out their, their sheds. I marked and labeled every piece of inventory that they had inside. If the softballs had been opened, I put them on a chart. If they had not been opened, I put them on a separate chart. I cleaned toilets and sinks and cleaned out urinals. I picked up things with these bare hands that would make some of you women turn your head. I cleaned up poop and throw up. If, if somebody called in sick, I came into work. If they had a special shift, I worked it. Saturdays, Sundays, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays. I worked 5 a.m. to 2 p.m., 12 to 9, 12 to 9, then 5 a.m. to 2 p.m. the next day. I did it. I worked outside in the July heat at 5.30 in the morning to 9.30 in the morning, then came back from 5.30 to 9.30 at night every single day. And then in July, my boss walks up to me out on the field, and he says, I just want to let you know next week you're going to go to regular. And I want you to know this means 40 guaranteed hours. It means health benefits. It means paid time off. It means sick time off. And that would have been great for some people, but it wasn't great enough for me. I wanted to do more, so I learned every program that was inside of that facility. For six and a half years, I gave that place everything that I had. I learned every bit. And they came to me and they said, we need somebody to take over the sports program. And I did it. And it came with a pay raise, and that was great. But then I did all this extra stuff, and they kept saying, Tyler, why do you do all this extra stuff? Why do you bring jumpers out to the field? Why do you bring water slides out to the field? Why are you going down and playing MUW? They kept asking all these questions. Why, why, why? Why are you doing this stuff? And then one day I got in a verbal altercation with another worker out at the base, and my boss's boss called me on the phone and said, come to my office. And I rushed over. I figured if I was going to get fired, I might as well get fired quick. And so I walk in his office, I'm panting, because I'm out of shape, you, know, you guys know that. And so uh, I'm panting, he says, shut the door, sit down. And his first words are, do you like your job? And my heart just like sank down into my stomach. I'm like, how am I going to explain this to Lindsay? Why do I have to tell people what I think and not care about what they think? It's not right. But nevertheless, he said, oh, I don't know anything about that. I don't want to know anything. Don't tell me anything about it. He said, the youth center needs somebody to help them with their sports program. They're really hurting. And I thought maybe you could go over there and build up their program, do the same thing that you've done at the fitness center. And I said, well, sure, but who's going to run my program? He said, oh, well, you're going to run both programs. So for six months, I worked two hours in one building, four hours in the other, and then two hours in another building. I worked late, late nights. I gave up a lot of time with my family. And I did a lot. I worked two programs that people normally get paid very generously to do. Two separate people. And I did it every single day. And on April 5th, 2015, they awarded me with the civil service position that I'm currently in. 
And maybe that would have been enough. But no, they told me that this youth center program needed to grow. When I arrived there three years ago, they had 34 kids in their basketball program, top to bottom. Today, we have 103 in that program right now. Every single program. And people still ask me, Tyler, why you build a tunnel for the kids to run out before the games? Why you bring slides out? Why you bring jumpers out? Why you do all this extra stuff? In March, we'll have a closing ceremony, and I'll stand up there, and there's one compliment that I constantly get from people, and it's, how do you know all the kids' names? It's not my job to know their names, but it's my job to make sure that they know that their kids are taken care of, and when people hear the sound of their kid's voice, a name on somebody else's voice, it makes them know that their child is taken care of. 123 kids in my spring soccer program, and I stood up there with a microphone and called every single one of them first and last name without any notes. Why? Because when you do extra things, it reaches extra people in extraordinary ways. If you want to be average, then you're going to produce average results. But above and beyond people or reach things above and beyond. If you want to see change in the world, then be the change that you want to see in the world. If you want to make a difference in somebody's life, then be the difference in their life. So many of us are waiting on somebody else to take care of something that we could have easily already done. And we want to sit here and make excuses. Show me results. I could have laid down many a times and said, I've done enough for Columbus Air Force Base, but if much is required, then much is received. And this is what Paul is encouraging us through his scripture. He is saying to us that we must strain forward. Let what's behind be behind. Look to what you can change and impact. Look to what you need to grasp, what you can be a difference in, what you can change. This is what Paul is calling us out to do. There's an ending to that story with me and James. The ending to that story is we turned back and eventually we found a, a guy that worked at Dutch Village and he had a... a phone that had one bar of service. After 10 minutes of my dad chewing me out, he finally came with a tire iron that he had removed from my vehicle. And, uh, and we changed out the tire, and as we were driving down the path that we had walked on foot, we were laughing about the different occurrences that had happened. And it was, it was all good. And then we, we get to the, uh, the hilltop. And we going over it, we're, oh, JR's house wasn't there. Then we went over, and not a hundred yards after we passed that hilltop, off to the right was a house that was lit up like the 4th of July. We were blinded to seeing it because we were on the path looking for what we wanted to find. Not only was this a house lit up like the 4th of July on the right-hand side of the road, but this was the house of the Millers. We knew these people extremely well. We had just recently attended church with them. We grew up with their son in the community. We know these people. They would have noticed us. They would have come and called us and would have been willing to help immediately if we would have showed up on their doorstep. But see, I've told this story to hundreds of people, and the remarkable thing about it is is that long before that car ever broke down on the side of the road, that house was built on the right-hand side of the road. Long before that car ever broke down, JR's house was built on the left-hand side of the road. 
Long before that car ever broke down, that hilltop was right there. And long before that car ever broke down, the Millers occupied that house. And long before that car ever broke down, we became friends and acquaintances with them. See, God was leading us on the path long before we ever reached it. And we were looking for something on the left that he had called us to find on the right. See, I'm encouraging you, my friends, today. If you want to lose an addiction, if you want to lose a struggle, if you want to lose a pain, if you want to become financially free, if you want to become all these things, you want to chase your goals, if you want to chase your dreams, your aspirations, start your own business, whatever the thing is, just do it. Because sometimes God isn't saying, wait for me, wait for me. God's saying, meet me with what you need. I have already called you on this path. And I'm urging you, go one more mile. Don't give up. Don't turn around. Don't make excuses. Just do it. Philip.